Hey everyone, I'm Rachel. And I'm Sarah. And we're sisters who just so happen to be best friends. We're here to unpack all of the unexpected moments that come with early adulthood and hope to uncover a more meaningful life, one conversation and cup of coffee at a time. This This is Mocha's in the Meantime. Hey everybody and welcome back to Mocha's in the Meantime. This is Rachel. And Sarah here. And this is going to be our season one finale of Mocha's in the Meantime. So we're really... (laughs) hype as usual (laughs) Um, because we are you know wrapping up our first season it's been such a learning experience Mm -hmm. to figure out how to make a podcast like what to do how to plan for podcast recording equipment like it's been such a fun process to kind of learn a new hobby and creative outlet and I think it was a great way to jumpstart just our creative process as sisters too because we'd always wanted to embark on something similar to this some sort of project and Mm -hmm. I think it was a perfect way to start that so it's been great and thanks for all of your support and for listening yeah definitely um before we jump into the premise of this episode we wanted to just quickly run over a few updates for logistics a few logistics <laughs> for mochas in the meantime so as i already mentioned this is going to be our final episode of this season and we just wanted to take a little holiday break off to do a lot of planning and some pre-recording some mm-hmm. brainstorming for next year's events of mochas in the meantime (laughs) we're gonna actually come back on january 1st which actually works perfectly because we are continuing our uploading of being every other friday and it happens to be on a friday so it's perfect to kind of have a new year new season new episode yeah definitely yeah starting fresh so um We have a lot of things that we're looking forward to in the new year and in our second season as well. Um, Lots of guests that we're hoping to bring on and ideas in the works. And we're hoping to kind of expand our podcast a bit um, with some new additions, um, perhaps on social media or just in other outlets. So we'll keep you posted, but just wanted to put that out there. So to segue into this episode topic, um, this is actually really good timing because it is the holiday season for multiple religions it's actually Hanukkah as you're listening to this right now Um, and for this episode we really just wanted to talk about kind of finding religion in young adulthood or Mm -hmm. even if it isn't in in an organized religion kind of finding some sort of connection or spirituality Mm -hmm. Um, and for this episode we wanted to invite on a really much more knowledgeable um, person on this topic, which is Alana Axel. She's actually a rabbi, but at our temple, she serves as a cantorial soloist and leader, like a leader in the community. Yeah, and she's going to, you know, talk a lot about this topic with us, but we wanted to give a little bit of background about how we know her and how we've Um, kind of ebbed and flowed, I would say, through religion throughout our life. So to give a little background about kind of where me and Sarah fall um, with religion, we were both raised Jewish. So my dad's family is all pretty much Jewish. My mom's Mm -hmm. family isn't, but she wasn't really raised very religious at all. So she kind of just was fine with us kind of being raised in a Jewish home. And um, I would say in general, I would say our family wasn't super religious at mm-hmm. all. 
Um, it was very open to kind of believe what we wanted to believe mm-hmm. or didn't want to believe. And, um, you know, it was very much more of a culturally Jewish household, I would say. Like, we celebrated the holidays together. We, you know, ate the delicious Jewish food and kind of had that shared um, cultural identity together. But um, I would say mostly the religious aspect was left for when we went to temple. Um, and both of us went to temple up until we were 13 years old where we had our bat mitzvahs which is basically a very big milestone in kind of becoming a Jewish adult even though you are still young it's sort of this mark of kind of adulthood in the Jewish community um and we kind of from that point I think took different directions with our religious identity and I guess level of connection Mm. Yeah, I would say so, because I think for me, when I became bat mitzvah, it was this point where I could decide, okay, am I going to continue on in my Jewish journey, at least at Beth Tikva, our synagogue? And I chose to stay. Um, I had a really close-knit group of friends at Temple, which was, I think, what drew me to continue. Um, And I ended up staying through graduation and um, graduation of high school. So it was an additional like five years or so. Um, and I think for me, though, the most significant part of my journey as a Jew has been post-grad, so post-college. Um, I was able to reconnect with Alana, who we're bringing on, and she just really showed me the way with her own journey in Judaism as a model um, to understand, like, what being a Jew could look like, what kinds of questions I could ask, what kinds of meditations I could study, or what kind of rabbis I could read, um, to learn more about what I think. Um, So Mm -hmm. she's a really big role model for me. Yeah. So when I was 13, I kind of took a different direction than Sarah. I decided to stop going to temple in Hebrew school after my bat mitzvah. Um, For me, it wasn't anything against the temple or like against Judaism or anything. It just personally at that time being like a 13 year old middle Mm. schooler like it just wasn't my priority I've found a little bit more of a connection to Judaism not really from a religious lens but from more of a cultural lens and I think um, even just having this conversation with Alana has really inspired me to want to explore Judaism even further than I have in a while Um, so I think this was really great both for Sarah because she kind of already has that close relationship with Alana and me to kind of reconnect with her and kind of find a new lens with Judaism, um, which you will all see in this conversation. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that was important to note because I think we bring kind of different perspectives. So yeah, that's kind of our background. But we just want to say anyone, no matter your religion, I think would get a lot out of this whether you're Jewish not religious or a different religion honestly and I think we also just wanted to put out there that this is in no way an attempt to convince people to yeah be Jewish or follow the Jewish customs I think we just wanted to shed light on this topic and the only way that we could use personal experience was through talking about it in somewhat of a Jewish lens so Mm -hmm. um we hope you enjoy and um we'll be back to check in after our chat with Alana
Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. Um, for this episode, we're actually here with Cantor Alana from our synagogue. Both of us trained with Alana for our bat mitzvahs back when we were 13, 12 and 13 years mm -hmm. old, and we've known her for a really long time. Um, but I think she can offer up an even better introduction of herself. So we want to welcome you here to Mocha's in the Meantime, Alana. Oh, well, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm just so honored to be here, and it's so exciting to, um, to watch you and see you now in your, in your transformation into college-age young adults. So thank you for inviting me, yeah. I, and, and the funny thing is, is that you all call me, you call me Cantor Ilana, and technically that was a name that we had the children calling me when I was, uh, started working at Batikva. But technically, I'm not what's called an ordained cantor. In other words, I never actually got certifications. It's funny, I grew up very much like you did in a, in a reform community in an upper middle class, you know, suburban setting. Um, and I was, I, I'd have to say that now, today I identify myself more as a, what we call a pluralistic Jew. In other words, I've sort of find resonances in a lot of different areas within Judaism and not specifically to one movement or denomination. So just to give you some background about everything I might go to say does not represent a reformed community. And I found as I was growing up that I was always a person who, uh, I always like sought out like kind of, I guess you could call it <laughs> for lack of a better word, deep visceral experiences like just sort of lightly experiencing things were not enough for me i was like i need those deep things that's just my personality and um and i was also a musician i i received a music education degree in 1978 from the eastman school of music and i was supposed to be in in uh, teaching and when i went to my student teaching at the end of my senior year i realized i don't want to do this <laughs> 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 which was kind of a shock and uh, I called my dad and he said well you know you're so close to finishing the degree he gave me very good advice he said just finish it up already so my certifications do not support really completely what I've been doing uh, which is I think interesting and um, and then soon after that I had thought of going to rabbinical school and then instead of going to rabbinical school, I chose to make Aliyah to Israel, meaning to go and live in Israel again, looking for the, the whole, the full mind, you know, body experience of being a Jew in the modern world. Uh, and so I was there for 17 years. I lived on a kibbutz, which is a, a socialist based community at the time, agricultural industrial community of, of about uh, 300 uh, adults with their families about the size of our congregation, Beth Tikva, about the same mm -hmm. size. And, um, mm -hmm. and um, had my children there, was involved in music there, did a lot of other odd jobs there at the time. And um, including music, I was part of a national choir in Israel that met bi-monthly. It was a wonderful experience. Um, and then for very, very many uh, personal and family reasons, I brought back my Israeli-born children uh, the oldest was 12 at the time, my Australian-Israeli husband, <laughs> and we came to America. And then I needed to find a job, and I was able to find a job as a music director in a reconstructionist synagogue here in, uh, in the Chicago area, um, where I was there for eight years, and again felt I need more, I just need something more, and I was so blessed and lucky to, you know, be hired at Beth Tikva, 
to let's call it this way to take the role of the cantor. So I am the cantor of the community, but I'm not titled as cantor. And then doing that for many years um, felt I still need something more that I feel like I'm not quite achieving it or attaining for myself. And so a year ago, I was ordained in a private ordination as a rabbi um, through a group in New York. So, but I don't work as the rabbi of our community. I work outside of our community as a rabbi, but inside the community, I am the cantor. So you can call me whatever <laughs> you feel comfortable with, but Ilana is just fine. Yeah. Oh, thank awesome. you so much for that background. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a rogue in a way, it's a little <laughs> patchy. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you've had quite a career kind of living in different countries and kind of experiencing a lot of different um, roles within the Jewish community. So um, we were wondering what the top pros and I guess some of the cons that you found of being a religious leader in a variety of communities, both in Israel and here. Right. Well, now in Israel, I was not a religious leader. Oh, I was gotcha. just Israeli. I was just, mm -hmm. that's what I, and, and when I went to Israel, what was important to me in my life has always been to support the growth and nurture of the Jewish people and Jewish civilization. Um, and it wasn't necessarily religion, although I came to it first from a love of the religion. At, at age nine, I, <laughs> I asked my parents to leave me in, in synagogue all day long, fasting at age nine, where of course in Jewish law, it's not required till you're 13. Um, oh, wow. on, Yom, on Yom Kippur, and I would sit there by myself and my parents would come back and get me and join me for like the memorial service at the end of the day, because I loved ritual and I loved that. And of course I was very drawn to that. But when I went to Israel, I, I was able to fulfill more of a secular part of wanting to be Jewish and part of the Jewish people and Jewish culture and Jewish civilization. So I've had that experience as well. Um, and then when I came back, I was not sure like where I fit. And I went to some Jewish song leaders workshops in Wisconsin at a camp called Asrui. Some of you, you know, you may, some people listening might know about that. And I discovered and understood more the power there of, of, of healing and building community through music. So music was like my tool. It was my main education was through music. And then slowly but surely, I re-entered, you know, religious life as, as a professional. Um, in some ways, it's the pathway that made the most sense to me at the time, because religious life here in America is so much built around congregations and congregational work or community organizing and work. So going into clergy was made sense. It gave me the way to, for me, the important thing was it gave me the way to work with people. And I think that's the biggest pro is, is that if you like to work with people, and especially if you like to work multi-generationally, which I do with all different ages, or, or find a, a niche where you're an expert with a certain age group that you really, really love, like either camp children or working with elders, it really appealed to that side of me. Um, mm. and, and you can find yourself being in a way of volunteer. It's like some ways you're a volunteer organizer and a motivational speaker mm. when, you, when you're working in, you know, in, in the clergy um, mm. because you're organizing people and getting them to try and meet common goals together. Um, but you also have this role of, of keeping them motivated and keeping them working together. So those are kind of the, the pros. It's a huge responsibility. If you like, if one likes responsibility, which I tend to be afraid of and attracted to at the same time, um, 
because it feels like I need to do that in the world, I'm, you know, um, then it's, it's, a, it's a great place to explore oneself. Um, if you love to study and learn, certainly in, in our tradition, any Jew should be doing that. And I think many other religious traditions share that. But if you are in the clergy, then it's like you're getting paid to do what you love because you mm -hmm. have to keep studying, you have to keep learning, and you have to keep teaching. And so that wonderful cycle is something that always appealed to me very much. Um, and you can, it, it does give a lot of room to independently like organize um, an area of focus. Y you know, you might, you might be more in, interested in social action, you might be more interested in comfort care, you might, so you, one can choose those, those different types of areas to focus in in your life, if that's what interests you. Um, and basically, you know, you're just, it's you get to do good in the world as much as possible and it leads to a lot of personal growth so i'd say those are all pros of of working as as clergy in the world today and meeting interesting people and especially in interfaith work yeah wow wow and i feel like in my experience with you as a leader at beth tikva you've been able to really inspire and teach me and like instill great discussion and get me thinking and reflecting so uh, mm -hmm. I just want to put that out there too, that your goals to impact others are definitely working. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. Oh, they, oh my God. You know, that just does my heart good to hear that. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. The con of the responsibility part is, you know, you don't want to do any harm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think that for Rach and I, we wanted to do this episode because we both feel like we fit on these points of a continuum kind of with religion. Like we see it as this mm -hmm. place where everybody falls in a different space and how, how they define religion, how they define involvement in religion. And it's something that we both grappled with like over our entire childhood and like teenage years and lives. And yeah. especially now in young adulthood, we're trying to find our identities. And so religion, I think inevitably comes up in that discussion. Um, we wanted to start by talking a little bit about what some of the benefits you see to being like formally involved in religious activities and communities. And like, just with that major theme of a continuum, like how that can fit into your, your identity as a Jew or um, Christian, Muslim, whatever religion you identify with. Right. And I'm glad you bring that up, Sarah, because um, it, like I said, I can speak for what I know, which is Judaism. Um, but I think anybody listening should be aware that their own spiritual traditions that they grew up in, their religious traditions have aspects of these in all, in all religions, in my experience. And so, you know, you know, go out and seek the one that, that, that fits you, you know, that, 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 uh, that you're familiar with, or that if you want to change, you know, go explore. Um, and I think, you know, we all, even, even through adulthood, this is not unique even to your age, but even today, I'm still asking the fundamental questions that I think every human being you know, asks and, so, you know, where am I located in the universe? Uh, you know, why was I created? You know, what's my relationship to everything outside of me? And does it really matter if God exists or not? And, and if it doesn't, then what does that mean? If it does, then what does that mean? And what does it mean to be religious or spiritual? Um, and what do I want to do with this like short life that I've lifespan that I've been given and what are my responsibilities? Do I want to be a good productive human being? Can religion or, or a belief in something outside of me, can that help me to do that? I think if one 
can find a well, what I call a well-functioning religious community, and I, I want to define that. I think a well-functioning religious community is one that's going to support you and give you the space and also the wisdom traditions and resources. They're, it's like a resource, it's like a treasure trove of resources to explore all these questions throughout your life. So for me, religion is definitely a continuum. It's not a, oh, now I'm this, now I know this, and while that should impact and inform my actions and the way I approach life and the way I am in the world, especially with the others of God's creation, meaning other people and creatures on the earth. But so, so I was saying that a, a well-functioning religious community needs to give you the resources and, and use the treasure trove of, of, of wisdom that these traditions that many of them thousands of years old have built up about how to be human in the world with a responsibility towards others and towards the divine. And, and it helps you answer these questions throughout your life. So if you choose to practice through a, a well-functioning community, you have to find the one that functions well for you. Mm. And, and, and the thing about being spiritual and, and the, a wonderful rabbi that I like to read, Rabbi Rami Shapiro, um, talks about spirituality on its own of like, if you go out into the world and you're looking at, at the um, you know, nature and it's beautiful, and, oh, I'm spiritual, that's lovely but it's not necessarily very productive because it, it stays with you and it's not something that you, you share, share with the friends that you're with at the time, but it doesn't have any impactful, meaningful change in the world unless it, it so, so that spirituality is something that we actually have to turn into a practice. You practice, if you wanna call it mindfulness or intentionality, it's something you want to be practicing and religious traditions, which Houston Smith called the wisdom traditions of the world, um, give us the tools to do that. And often that sense of spirituality is expressed in the rituals and the practices that religions provide. And so it can give you a sense of doing it in a community. And by community, I don't mean just the community that you're associated with, but you're talking about thousands of years of different communities within the religion that you're following. And so you have a, just a treasure trove, really, of resources to, to fall back on. You know, today we're talking a lot about alienation and modern alienation of people looking for communities. You know, this is one way to find your way back to community. On the other hand, I want to say I'm, I don't, I'm not an apologist for God. Uh, I, I feel that God is so much, for me, the God that I, you know, walk with, believe in and talk about is so much beyond whether I accept that there's an existence of God or not. I don't think that's God's concern and I don't have to make excuses for that. And I think it's part of a search. I think the search and in Judaism, especially the journey itself is part of the point, not the goal. Mm. So, so we're on the continuum all the time in that sense. So you don't have to arrive and say, I believe this, therefore I am such and such. You can be in the process and be part of a community and you can have points of disagreement or agreement, but still be processing that out with a with a well-functioning community that gives you the space to do that and be searching for yourself with its tools yeah i think because religion is values-based it's like a values-based community in the first place you might be able to find people that you can have these important conversations with too which i think sometimes in my life has felt like it was missing um in my mm -hmm. everyday life even though i had great friends it was hard to find people who i could speak about these as you said at the beginning like deep Mm -hmm. soul-searching topics. Um, yeah, and I like how you mentioned that 
it is like, especially in Judaism, it is a journey of finding, I guess, your place within the religion and feeling like you can explore it rather than feeling a pressure to know right away, this is what I believe in, this is what I identify as as a Jewish person. And I think for me, who has kind of grappled with religion throughout my life and not felt sure of what I believe in and felt like because of that, I wasn't Jewish enough, whatever that means, Mm -hmm. is nice to hear from a leader who you know you've committed much of your life to this and you're saying it's okay (laughs) to Mm -hmm. kind of explore it and not feel, I guess, a pressure or guilt to be all believing right away. I think that's a really important point that you make. Um, and, and, you know, a, a, a very important uh, 20th century rabbi, uh, uh, Mordechai Kaplan, it was called the three B's of religion. You could start with belonging to a community because people want a sense of belonging. And there are lots of different ways of belonging, but religious communities can be a very powerful one. And then you learn from your, with your, along with your community how to behave, which doesn't mean, oh, behave. Sure, it has moral and ethical implications. And these are very important, especially uh, certainly in Judaism and in other religions. But how you behave is just how you greet people in the morning, how, when you see them, how you behave in, in, um, in public discourse together, how you Im- um, impact decision-making together. These are all based in values, as you said, so that you learn that as you go along. And then eventually you get to the third B, which is then you begin to understand what you believe in and what your belief system mm-hmm. is. You know, you know, in Judaism, the name of God is, is very broad. It, there's no name for God, because if you name God, then God becomes limited. Mm-hmm. Like in other mm-hmm. words, you know, if I'm, Sarah, if I'm not, if I'm Ilana, I can't be Sarah and Sarah can't be Ilana, that, that limits me to somewhat. Um, so God has no name. So the name for, that we use to express God, uh, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, the letters Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey in, in the Jewish uh, alphabet, really it represents many different things, but among them, I le- one of my favorite ideas is that it represents um, the idea that time is, is on a continuum and it's eternal. It just, it, it just means kind of was, is, and will be, and, and God continues to just say, I am what I am becoming. I don't, I'm not there yet. So we can, if, if God can do this, then certainly we can. Yeah, yeah. And I think also, um, like on this idea of a continuum with just religion that I see, and like, mm-hmm. I know people who have tried different religions or explored ones that they didn't necessarily grow up with. And um, I was curious if you could speak a little bit to choosing a religion because at least in our case it was chosen for us which I mean I'm I'm grateful for that because I think it introduced me to a community that I I want to be a part of today but um I think it's just interesting to think that there's a lot of options out there and you do have of course a free will to to explore them so I just wanted to hear your thoughts about that Yes, absolutely. Um, and and you, you bring up a really great point is that religion is chosen for us. You know, I experienced something of, of that when I was uh, in college. I was just out of college. And I began to ask a lot of questions that I hadn't, when I began to encounter the universality of different types of religious thought, different cultures, and noticing that you know, there was a great validity in so many different ways of being 
you know, culturally and communally and, civil, and through civilization in the world. And I began to think, well, so why would I have to be Jewish? So maybe, I, maybe I'm not really Jewish. And this is from someone, as you heard, you know, who sat at the age of nine in Yom Kippur all day long, <laughs> trying to feel what <laughs> fasting meant, God meant, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a shock to me when I discovered that I had these questions about universality. And uh, I met a rabbi at the time. I was very lucky to meet a scholar who was visiting in my town named Rabbi Lawrence Kushner, who was exploring and writing a lot and teaching a lot about mysticism and the Jewish Kabbalah. And I had a, a very short meeting with him. And I said, you know, I was so committed to Judaism all my life since I was seven. In many ways, Judaism, I would say, found me. Um, there's not a lot of objective reason for Judaism to be so strong in me from the point of view of the way I was raised. Um, but it was always so in some ways it, it is kind of calls to you and you kind of know it when you see it. But I said to the, to the rabbi Kushner, I said, but, but now I'm having all these questions. It seems to me like, why is this any different than, you know, what, what this religion brings or that religion or that culture. And he said, and, and it makes me, if I'm asking so many questions, like, am I really Jewish? So I was asking mm. the same question. Right. And his response was, Oh, but that's what a Jew is supposed to do. You're supposed to be asking questions. And in that short sentence, he solved my whole problem. And I haven't, I haven't really turned back very often since. You know, I, I do have doubts all, all often, but little by little, I think one establishes one's path in life and, and you go from stepping stone to stepping stone, you get to the, a place. I think today I'm in a much more secure place than what I think. But that being said, my vision of God has changed with every single challenge in my life and where God fits in there. Accompanying people through situations of death certainly makes one re-examine what one thinks about religion and God and, and our place. So, you know, I think to some degree, there's a sense of, you know it, I, I know it when I see it, or I know it when I feel it, and I know it when I'm not feeling it. And mm-hmm. so I'd say to some degree, you have to go with your gut. Mm-hmm. You know, religion is clearly not a science. So it's not an intellectual, it's an intellectual activity as well as a heart activity, mm-hmm. but it's, it's faith. So faith is not something that you can measure. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you, but you know, when you love something and you know, when you hate it. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, to some degree, you have to go with your gut. Is this, is this giving you a place? Is it serving your emotional need? And is it giving you a place to serve the world? For me, serving God, meaning serving people is, is my purpose. And within all the different religions and denominations, you still have to find the community that you yourself feel resonates with you because every religion, Every denomination will have specific communities that are expressing these values that you talked about, Sarah, in different ways. You know, they may not be walking the talk, or they may be saying one thing and acting in another way, or they may just not be self-aware yet. And so that just means it, it may be that a specific congregation may not be for you. That doesn't mean necessarily that the entire religion and the retired religious tradition that you grew up in is wrong. Mm. I think every organization actually, you know, in human experience, you know, deals with, you know, a, a, a particularity, like what is important to me to maintain my organization or my religion, my people, my culture. And, and so every group, every, let's go back to religion. Every religion is involved in that. How do I nurture that? How do I transmit it to future generations? But, but the really great religions are also very interested in universality and what, what combines us all, um, what is common to all human experience and how are we supposed to behave with each other. But 
all religions throughout time have had to balance these two different, they seem different, the interests of you know, particularity and universality. And the way a community balances this sort of tension, and this is a tension that's a very positive tension, it's not a, not a bad one, but it requires one to think about one's decisions and what the consequences of the decisions. So for example, if we allow interfaith marriage, that's a universal consideration. But will that damage and how will it damage the religious practice, which is a particular interest going forward and how are we going to nurture that? So these are, that's just a quick example. I think many of us experience, especially in our globalistic world today of, of you know, interfaith or intercultural, you know, so how are those, how do those things work together? And so if your community is not able to address those issues in a, in a balance that works for you, you might need to be looking for a different community. And that could be within your own religion, but every religion has so many different communities and ways of being together, or you need to be looking for a different religion that's going to you know, balance those things in the way that you feel is working for you to support your way of being in the world, your relationship with something divine, something outside of oneself, which I think is a very healthy thing. Yeah. Um, and I think this topic got me thinking about um, how I think in other religions, but in the Jewish community, I think there's a huge tie to like the cultural side of it as well as a religious side. And I know for me personally, I've always felt like a strong cultural tie to being Jewish, whereas like more of the religious side wasn't as prevalent in my life. Um, so I think I was wondering, how do you feel about people that find kind of a Jewish or other religious community almost outside of a traditional like synagogue mm -hmm. or church or mosque, whatever it may be, and kind of connect through the shared kind of identity or culture of their religion rather than in a more traditional Mm -hmm. location. Yeah, I, I almost think it's, it's to some degree, it's a very healthy and necessary thing. Again, if we're talking about process, and we're talking about continuum, then coming and going is not, a, it doesn't have to be seen as a negative. And, and that's not to say that somebody who finds themselves early in life, and feels really committed to a community and does that for 50 years, that's also fine, because that that worked for them. Um, so, for example, my, my youngest daughter, who lives in Pittsburgh, um, who was raised and actually had her bat mitzvah at Beth Tikva um, as well, uh, you know, but she was born in Israel, but she was here, she's here the longest in the United States most of her life. She came at the age of two when we came. Um, and she, to a large degree, you know, rejected sort of the traditional religious school, religious, you know, communal congregational setting. And she went to a college where she was um, a student with very few, she didn't know very many Jewish people there. And she was exploring for the first time, people who, who attended church regularly were her best friends. And this is all new, new for her. She was in a very different geographical location in the United States. And then she found herself gravitating back towards Jewish people because there was just something common, you know? So yeah, it's chosen for you, but everything's chosen for you. Your, your economic situation is chosen for you. Your, uh, your, your genetic, you know, um, potentialities are chosen for you. So sometimes those things really do work for us eventually over time. We feel comfortable, we feel familiar. Um, 
And so she found herself back, and now she doesn't belong to a congregation. She's in her uh, mid-20s now. But she has a very small group called like a, sort of like a Chavura group, and she meets with them regularly, and they do mostly the cultural aspects of Judaism, I'd say. They, they do prayers, but they don't have rabbis, and they don't have, you know, any clergy. They do Friday night together. They light Shabbat candles. They have a meal together. That's a very tight social group. Are they doing a religion? I think they're doing religion. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. I think, that, you know, they're, they're, they're doing a religious observance that's very important to them that they are uh, maintaining and nurturing. And now one of her friends there is now in rabbinical school. Wow. Cool. Uh, but, 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 that, but, but, but the rest of the group is not. And, and they, they, you know, and it changes over time. So I think there, again, there are so many little ways of being Jewish, you know, you know, in Judaism, just getting together and studying with somebody, but you need a minimum of two people. That's all you need to study. And people are doing that all over the world and they're doing it online right now. There are so many ways to access that in the world today. And they're just studying the sources and the sources are supporting, you know, values and, and exploring the same things that we've already been talking about. And these explorations have been going on for thousands of years. I guess in some of our conversations that we've had, we've talked a lot about meditating and, um, and just speaking to universality, like you were saying a bit before, um, I didn't really realize how universal this idea of meditation and presence is across religions. And, and yeah, oh, oh sorry, you can go. I was just saying up until we, chatted about the podcast I didn't realize that it was integrated in Judaism and a lot of religion which is I think something a lot of young adults and like younger people don't realize is that um, you can kind of have that gratitude and meditative practice while also seeing it through religious lenses too Mm -hmm. yeah like I think we're all kind of searching for the meaning of life and like wanting to be present in your day-to-day because that's what's going to hopefully bring you the most fulfillment and joy and I think seeing that in all religions or like a lot of the major religions it's kind of reminding me that that we really all have similar desires as human beings so I just I Mm -hmm. like to think about that because I think it brings us together as people in a time when we're often um, kind of pitted against each other or like thinking more black and white. I think that's the, the tendency for humans or a lot of us is just to be like with us or against us or you're in this group and I'm in this group and I think about it that way. Whereas that underlying desire to be present and mindful um, that a lot of people have brings us together more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you raised kind of two very good points here. One is the universality of, of certain practices, only with different flavors and, and, and language codes, perhaps, you know, which is meditation uh, and prayer. Um, and, and, and we're only understanding now how much meditation exactly, for example, in the Jewish world, um, was really a big part of, of the rabbi's life during even the time of the Talmud and certainly for the Hasidic rabbis who would, who would emphasize meditating before you went to pray in many cases right so you would be prepared to actually address Mm -hmm. you know your 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 god you know all all religions have this i really i'm pretty convinced that yoga starts that it comes out of the hindu tradition 
So today we think of yoga. Well, it's yoga. Right. It is yoga. But all those beautiful traditions associated with yoga come out of the Hindu tradition. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Kabbalah, people study Kabbalah, but Kabbalah is not some, um, it, it's not some just approach to life that just comes out of nowhere. It comes out of thousands of years of, of Jewish traditions. Um, and I think, and then you have the mystic practices in Christianity as well. And, and let's not forget that I think many religions, be, but going on to the second point that you make, Sarah, I think all religion, many, I, I know for sure Mohammedism, you know, meaning Islam came out when Mohammed, Confucius, Moses, Jesus, they all, they all arise out of a, a, an attempt to solve the problems of the world as they saw them. It's a response to poor moral behavior, poor behavior with each other, people trying to compete in a way that was, you know, a, a zero sum game um, and being so pitted against each other and, and, and not thinking about how they behave towards others. They all arise out of this impetus to find a way to better the world for many people. But certainly let's not wax romantic here. Religion has done great, great harm in the world. And I think that's a real turnoff, especially for young people. And I can't say that that's not true. But I think, and I, I call it the, the ism factor, like, like Judaism or, or any sort of ism it can also be socialism, capitalism, communism, all, all the ways that we organize ourselves in, in the human world um, can have big negative impacts and big positive impacts. And what, what we do with all of these things is really the key. And that's, what's the, that's the universal factor. In the end. What we do with what is moving us to act in the world, whether it's religion, whether it's a political ideology, um, you know, of, of, or any other you know, sort, what we do with it is really what's important. Um, so kind of going off of the idea of religion, both bringing so much positivity and also some negative effects to people's lives. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about how some people in the past and present have felt kind of uncomfortable or excluded within certain religions based on their gender identity or sexuality. So I was just wondering um, if you have any kind of advice for people who have felt historically marginalized or um, excluded in a religious space and kind of how they can potentially find a space that is more open and accepting for them, mm -hmm. um, whether it's their own religion or the religion they were raised in or even a new religion. Yeah, and, and you're, it's such a great point that you make. And it's, and it's such a problem um, because communities, religious communities will, will kind of get into a a, a way of being with and without being self-critical often enough. But, but I will say that, um, that so many communities that I'm in touch with, I mean, I'm perhaps blessed this way, are really trying to understand how they need to change their thinking and their values, and they have to perhaps move towards that more universal value, sometimes at the risk of what they knew in the particular side, and they have to re-examine and, you know, what they're doing in order to really be available for, for all of God's children. I'm going to put it out that way. It sounds cheesy, but that's, that's what it is for all of God's children. Not just make allowance, because that's not enough. 
we're not making allowance for somebody. We want them to feel that they're normalized within our community. You know, now that now not that takes looking at our scripture and our sources and trying to interpret them in a way because scripture can have uh, some things that are negative about that, like a woman should not, you know, men, men should not cross-dress and men should not lie together. But there is a vast body of Jewish thought that has gone into looking at scripture and, and interpreting it in, in new lights. As we understand humans better, a religion should be able to grow in every generation and encompass these new things and still know that it is still Judaism or it is still, you know, um, uh, Lutheran or it is still you know, Sufi or this. So, so these, these religions are, are trying to grapple with that. So I would say patience, you know, keep at it. If religion is important to you, don't think that your every religion is and every denomination within your religion has rejected you. Um, we're catching up to you. And uh, many, many, uh, there's a lot of religious life out there that is, is looking to repair harm that's been done in the past. Um, and I think some people, if they were raised in a household or community that wasn't that way, feel like there aren't other options. So it's really great to hear from a leader saying that there's a lot of communities that are doing a lot of reflection and work in that direction. Mm -hmm. um, so. so, yeah, another thing that's really special, I think, about being in a synagogue or a religious community of some kind is that often you have multiple generations all in one space. So I think on this topic, it's a nice opportunity maybe for people in older generations, families, kids, teens to all have a chance to talk about topics like this um, and like grow to understand each other a little bit more because we have that, um, I don't know, like that time you're in services or that time when you're in the hallway and you run into people you know of all generations. I think it's kind of a unique opportunity. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and, you know, we were talking earlier about marginalized communities mm -hmm. and a lot of the progress that goes on in, in, again, in the religious communities that take this sort of progression or continuum that we've been talking about, you know, to heart. And that's one of their values is to, is to grow with the times um, and, and find ways to, uh, to adapt and still remain the religion that they want to be and, you know, and, and with their observances. But one of the things that that, one of the ways that happens is because of the interaction between the different generations. And so I can tell you, for example, at Beth Tikva, at our congregation, where we have just completed a large um, uh, sort of phase of becoming more inclusive, more, more outwardly inclusive, not just decide it, but actually walk the talk as it were, mm -hmm. and, and change language and policy around, for example, LGBTQ inclusion. Um, that's happened because of our young people who, who, and the generational changes of being able to be who you are in our society today and open about who you are. That's impacted the generation of parents, which are say 40 year olds and up to my age, mm -hmm. that's in turn impacted even, even older generations who this is, you know, really kind of maybe new and a little bit more uncomfortable for as they get used mm -hmm. to it. Um, and, but when you have a young person in your midst singing with you as Sarah does, mm -hmm. um, but any, any, any young person who comes into our midst and is working with us and we're, we're working alongside of them, they begin to impact the community. Mm -hmm. And, 
And so again, a good, uh, we talked about well-functioning communities, a well-functioning community, religious community or a community of any kind is going to make room for new ideas, is going to find a mm -hmm. way to incorporate them and is going to find a way therefore to be impacted in return and grow and change. And so we're talking about growth, we're talking about um, expansion and, and enriching and, and deepening older traditions mm -hmm. and, and turning them into, into new ones Mm -hmm. And there was a wonderful rabbi, uh, I, I'm, see if I get this quote right, um, Harav Kuk, he was a, a chief rabbi of the Ashkenazic community in Israel um, in, the in the early 20th century, I believe. And he said that we would, we would make the old new and we would make the new sacred. Mm -hmm. And we can do that only oh. because of multiple generations and mm -hmm. intergenerational you know, uh, responses and interactions. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I think I, and I think a lot of people view some of the religious teachings as kind of like, this is what it is and it doesn't really shift or change. But I think it's interesting to think that we can still have the sacred old text and ideas, but let them progress in other ways mm -hmm. while still maintaining like the same values. Or like Does adapt that or adapt. Yeah to our modern understanding yeah mm -hmm. but it doesn't take away from the oldness of it it just like expands on it mm -hmm. and it like, like and what you were saying about um young people making an impact on older people um i think like for people who are outside of religious communities maybe knowing that would be a way to also think about if they were interested in coming back or returning to religion and spirituality um perhaps that would be a way to feel more comfortable with that too. Right, right. And a community, a community on its part has to make sure that, that the younger people know that they are welcome to engage in these conversations. Again, so finding the right community for you is the one that's going to be, you know, generously and genuinely allowing that, not just saying, we love to have young people here, but rather is actually making room in various ways. For example, again, I, I can only use Beth Tikva as an example. That's the one I know the best, of course. But but we have our social action committee. We 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 actually actively sought out uh, high school students um, to be members of that committee. Hmm. That's so that's awesome. a good that, you know you, if you have a community, a religious community, doing that that, that sort of thing, you, it's a good sign. Mm -hmm. It's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah, and even like being in choir as like pers a person in my young 20s and like majority of the people in choir are like older than that. Even that experience was eye-opening because it was just like I was one of you all. Like I didn't feel like there was a problem with the age difference. It felt like very inclusive. And so again, that's kind of a unique experience to get in a in a religious community that otherwise in my life, you know, like in school or in most of my jobs I've had I'm mostly working with people my age or, you know, mm -hmm. like not mm -hmm. far off. So I really valued that as well. Yeah. And then, and, and the reverse is true too, you know, young people involved mm -hmm. in communities and religious communities, um, you know, have the benefit of, of wisdom and life experience yeah. of older people who are not necessarily their parents Yeah, because mm -hmm. the parent child relationship has other, you know, intricacies that go with it. Um, mm -hmm. And so mentoring can be happening in different ways, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, in, in all different areas. It can be, it doesn't have to be religious. It can be, you know, you know, how to grow a garden, you know, how to do a social action project, 
um, how to be a good leader by observation, how to look at, at leaders and, 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 and sh in, in volunteer organizational life and see you know, what leadership um, models seem to work when you, you know, when you look at them. A lot of informal learning possibilities yeah. and not just for the religious tradition itself but just for human behavior and human interaction mm -hmm. that is as you said earlier sarah values based mm -hmm. that is consciously trying to be values based and i think like a question that i had at least back when i was in high school i remember for our graduation we all gave speeches and my topic was what if you don't know what you believe like what if you don't you know, if you don't believe in God right now, or you're not sure what you believe, um, I was curious if you could speak to that too, like for young people who maybe are thinking about coming back or like becoming involved for the first time or whatever it is, like how you can navigate religion without having, I think we've, we've touched on this a bit, but I think like, if you're not really sure what you believe, quote unquote, um, like how mm -hmm. you can still maybe, um, find your place in a community, Right. And this, I think we, we were kind of, at, we had kind of touched upon uh, uh, Rabbi Mordechai Kaplan's concept of behaving, yeah. I'm sorry, belonging to a community. Mm -hmm. And and again, that can just be a heart pull, right? That can just mm -hmm. be a heart pull. Something's pulling me to this. And that gives you a safe place to mm -hmm. study and to learn and to grow, talk to other people, uh, talk to the clergy, talk to the staff, talk to your peers, and begin to discern for yourself and distill what it is you believe in. Mm. I, I can I can say this that you know when I think of myself as a child, and looking out my my because as you you know heard earlier I'm I'm a very kind of a, you know I like I like to be deep and serious sort of person. <laughs> I was I, I was very as very as a very young child I remember looking out the window at night before I would go to sleep and having these little conversations with God and imagining mm. God as you know apparently obviously a masculine older white male figure mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right I, I mean that obviously cannot work for me today my views of god have completely changed mm -hmm. um they've been impacted by, by by seeing tragedy you know and asking those questions you know why is there tragedy like this in the world why, why is this happening why is there evil um and what what's my response to it and, and what is the response of my community to it? And I can only say that I have been blessed to be able to discover that Judaism, at least, I, again, I can only speak about Judaism. Judaism is, is broad enough to contain all of my approaches, all of my understandings and the next steps of understanding and beyond. There's always mm -hmm. a place to go where I can study and find that somebody has thought about these things mm -hmm. within my tradition and has written about them, has taught them and, and they're still developing. Mm -hmm. And it, mm -hmm. it takes work, it takes work, mm -hmm. but, but it, you know, it, it's large enough to contain my journey, my own spiritual mm -hmm. journey mm -hmm. and it enhances it along the way. Yeah. And, and being not feeling, not feeling alone in it. I can be feeling I'm not alone because there's a rabbi 500 years ago who was talking about this and who, mm -hmm. and I can read his writings or her writing, you know, her, not, it wouldn't be mm -hmm. her 500 years ago, but I can certainly read, you know, any rabbi's writings today online and get different viewpoints mm -hmm. and still be within the mm -hmm. Jewish tradition. Yeah. That's like such a special part. I think about Judaism is that it is so, I feel like open-minded in the sense that you can, 
really ask questions and explore. And like you said, like your depiction or manifestation of what God looks like or feels like to you can change from childhood to adulthood. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be just one thing, which Mm -hmm. I think is kind of the theme of this episode is that there's so much room for exploration and growth and change and it doesn't have to be just this one thing that you picture as what something's supposed to look like or be in religion mm-hmm. yeah yeah I'd have to agree with that you know and 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 if we're if we're educating our children to think that everything is you know shut and closed within our religious tradition then we've mm-hmm. done a disservice in our education I think you know we're always looking at those issues and and that being said there is going to be a limit there is going to be a point where you are no longer uh, you know in your religious thought you're no longer Jewish right I mean yeah. or you're no longer Christian because you you've just wandered you know too far outside uh, you know, and the rabbis of, of the generations are very conscious of that issue as well. Again, we're talking yeah. again about this this healthy tension between universality and particularity. There is a point where you're not. But, you know, people have to choose where they fit in, in this life, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that in, in, in the Jewish tradition is, is incredibly broad for mm-hmm. all of these conversations to happen um, at any age. And, and I think other good traditions are certainly as broad as well. I, again, I'm, I can only speak for my own, but you know, once you really prick the surface and start to look beyond, you will find a lot of different. Why are there so many denominations to Christianity? Mm-hmm. Why are there? Why are there? There are different denominations in Islam. There are different ways of practicing yoga. Yoga is not one single practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a multitude of different practices. And that, you know, that speaks to the diversity that, that, again, we were talking about earlier, that God that I believe in wants diversity, wants us to be growing and, 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 and changing over time and reevaluating in every generation. And, you know, that, that's a God that I can be in relation with. I wanted to bring up the idea you had talked to us about when we were speaking before the podcast about process thought theology. And like, I feel like that ties into this chat really well. Mm-hmm. So, so process thought the or process theology. There's like process theology mm-hmm. and process philosophy. Um, I don't know they're very much about it, but together they're often called uh, as a as an umbrella uh, title, process thought, and it's literally something that I stumbled into fairly recently, um, and realized oh this kind of expresses the way I've come to see God and feel God. Um, and, and, and it really identifies, you know, the divine as a creative, pro- as the creative process, rather than a tr- like some sort of transcendental, supernatural outside of, uh, you know, outside of, of experience outside of the natural world, but and rather actually celebrates this creative process that we're talking about mm-hmm. and is actually part of the creative process. So, mm-hmm. so when one, and, I've, I've come to understand it this way. I'm not an expert in this field by any means. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a seeker at this point. But it looks at the world as if God is imminent within the world, which was also a way that many scientists will look at the divine within the world. I'm not saying that scientists believe necessarily in God, if we want to use that term. But if scientists um, sometimes look at the world, and I think Einstein, who I love to read. Sometimes I think of Einstein as a very brilliant rabbi 
in the sense that mm-hmm. he said some wonderful things mm-hmm. about human relations, mm-hmm. and a re- which could be identified as a religious point of view, but he did not believe in God. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he, I think, would say that he began, his purpose in the world was of studying mathematics and all of his phys- physics was to try and understand, you know, where God was, which is an incredibly mm-hmm. crazy thing for a scientist, you know, a scientist of his caliber mm-hmm. to say. But he understand that there's a point in the universe where these things are actually all manifest in the world together. Science, mm-hmm. math, how we measure, the things that we can't measure. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. all manifest in the world. And I think I had mentioned that, um, um, I learned this wonderful statement from Rabbi David Klein, who's who um, is you know an, an, a rabbi who used to work in the reform. I mean, he's a reform rabbi uh, from the mm-hmm. URJ, uh, and now he's in in his um, retirement. Um, and you know, you you guys know the blessing Baruch Eloheinu Melech Haolam, which is the basic blessing language that we use in our tradition, and it, which is often translated as you know, blessed are you with the, the name Adonai, that's the code name for God, because we don't have a name, you know, Adonai, uh, blessed are you, Adonai, our God, ruler of the universe. And he taught in a wonderful teaching, what if that really meant, blessed are you, the, like the creator God, rules of the universe, who is in the mm. rules of the universe. Mm, wow. And, and that, like, that kind of, just turns it on its head and yet mm-hmm. and still still it still acknowledges this power of the divine which mm-hmm. requires a certain humility on the part of the human being which mm-hmm. i think is very important in human life and i don't mean to be humble and meek the opposite you're humble humble being humble which is should be i think part of religious traditions that humility of of knowing that other people and other parts of creation around you have as much, um, you know, efficacy in the world should have as much agency are as important as you are. Mm -hmm. That knowledge is both a religious knowledge and a scientific knowledge, because when one can observe how expansive the universe is, and not only that, but how expansive our bodies are, our, as our cells and the, the parts of our cells get, you know, gets, mm-hmm. they, they can see more and more today, smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller elements that make up a human body or, or any sort of organic material and the stars beyond. It's so humbling. Mm-hmm. So oh. one can achieve that value in human life, which I think is the basis of mindfulness and the basis, you know, of intentionality. Mm-hmm. You can achieve that through science. You can achieve that through faith. And they can complement each other when we don't have to have a zero-sum game. It's it's always one or always the other. You don't have to, oh, I'm only religious, therefore I can't believe in science. Yeah. Mm. Or, oh, I only believe in science, therefore, you know, there's nothing that faith can help me with. But but they can be, again, in tension, in a healthy partnership tension, but they can be partners together to make one's life more productive and more fulfilling. And, and I've seen them both work together. I, I'll give you an example. Yeah. This is kind of a hard one. Um, but, but when I've accompanied people, you know, in hospice as they're dying, and especially if the death might be one that's, um, you know, let's call it, un, you know, untimely. In other words, it's for a younger person. And, and you see 
the incredible work that the scientists, meaning the medical practitioners, are doing through knowledge to help care for the person who is dying, to help care for their family, through understanding, through observation, through measurement, mm -hmm. through everything that they know. And yet there's still an element of things that cannot be answered in those moments. Mm -hmm. And so a, a really well-working, say, hospice facility or hospice situation is when the medical workers know it's time now to stand back and the families and the whatever clergy or anybody that they have supporting them spiritually or emotionally in the room, they are going to now take that mm -hmm. space and they're going to fill it with what they need to fill it with. Mm. And, and, and to witness these two incredible elements of human experience working together for me has been, um, mm. you know, a really, a real huge blessing to see them working together. And that's when you feel mm -hmm. that there's holiness in the world. It's not stuff you can measure with scientific instruments. What I was thinking about from all of this was I feel like we're like our society and just humans are so obsessed or like ingrained to think of things as like one or the other, like kind of like the good and bad binary. I think we were talking about and how mm. we think like you have to be either like you were saying, like scientific or religious or good or bad. But mm. in reality, like everything is so nuanced that a better word is like and instead of or that's yeah. right that's called a that's called like a, a which is which i ascribe to and i work in this medium all the time uh, i think it's called like the both and paradigm mm -hmm. ra rather mm -hmm. than the zero sum game yeah and i th i think our world is sorely in need of that mm -hmm. for sure <laughs> you know this this is obviously in our politics political discourse you know in our civilizations in how countries um impact each other and relate and, and are in, you know, diplomatic relations with each other. When you have a zero sum game, basically everybody loses eventually. Mm -hmm. Like the winner is only going to be winner for a while. And, and yeah, sure, it could be hundreds of years civilization. But why do civilizations rise and fall? Because mm -hmm. you can't be the winner in the zero sum game forever. It just never works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so I think all of these, these ideas expand out to other things that I know that I, you know, believe in. And, it, and you know, and, um, you know, is it all capitalism? Is it all socialism? Is one or the other the only way to go? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Is that really is that really working in our world today? I'm not so sure. Yeah. So so the both end paradigm again, one can learn it through 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 um, you know a deepened um, um, you know dive into into religious thought from the again what we call wisdom traditions from many many places. I think just one final thing on that that I remember talking to you about at the beginning of the pandemic actually was the idea of balance and how when you have the, I don't know, like you're saying too, Rach, like kind of the black and white or like good versus bad, like without thinking about that and it's eventually going to tip in one direction and be out of balance. And then like you're saying, mm -hmm. like with societies falling after a long time, it's because maybe... In an, if you think about it in terms of balance, it's like it became so out of balance that you could no longer like hold both sides. Mm -hmm. um, like I think of it as like a scale, like I'm like holding up my hands right now, like <laughs> a scale. And it's like when you when you get to such a tipping point, it's like you can't sustain both anymore. I really like like yoga and mindfulness practices because I feel like it's letting me think about balance and like how to 
find it in myself to therefore like encourage or like spread that idea, I guess. Yeah. And I think, I think trying to find oneself um, on that, you know, like you say on that balance on the, you know, as you were holding up your hands and, you know, I, I tend to call that like the fulcrum point, like the fulcrum point is holding mm-hmm. this all in and we're balanced mm-hmm. like a seesaw, you know, we're balancing on all sides. And I feel like the seesaw is really the journey for me you know, the journey to the divine relationship and the human relationship mm-hmm. is on is exactly on this sort of seesaw and how mm-hmm. we journey through that and balance that. And, mm-hmm. the, and the, the religious traditions or other traditions that we have from families and from communities are, are there to help us, you know, get to a place where we're more often closer to the balance, to mm-hmm. the fulcrum point mm-hmm. and not falling off the edge so often in our lives personally and in our communal organizational lives. So now the three of us are sitting here and we're in a way, in a way without being cheesy, we're in a holy moment right now because, Mm. and here we are doing this on Zoom, right? This is crazy, but it's all possible. We're in a holy moment because we've been, we're touching now, again, we're touching on, on this relational aspect of ourselves and our world and our universe and and what might be divine in there and how it impacts us as individuals how and we're in our souls right now we're not just in our in our intellect you know Mm -hmm. and 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 for me that's what I call like 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 the wow that's like the wow factor it's like wow that should that's the basic building block of of any just religious practice is like wow Mm -hmm. and um and even though those of us who work in religion and are proponents and are professionals in religion and maybe institutions at times have lost that factor, I would counsel all of us, people who are seeking, young people and religious institutions themselves to try and remember that, that this is really what it's about. Painful at times, it's uncomfortable at times, but it's very beautiful and very holy. With religion, I think, and just other people that don't identify as religious but think about like the universe as a whole I feel like it's just I always get lost in my thoughts of how big everything is and like how everything is working together in some way Mm -hmm. whenever we talk about this I'm just like wow there's so much so much bigger than me but then every person brings so much at the same time it's Mm -hmm. like again a weird balance of like each person has so much power but then they're so small compared to like the entire universe yeah like the importance of the details and the bigger picture at the same time yeah uh and that reminds me maybe maybe i'll leave you with this this short teaching which is one of my favorites it's very well known in the jewish tradition um from a a hasidic rabbi rabbi simcha bunim and we're talking about 17 or 1800s. And he said that every person should keep two pieces of paper, one in each pocket at all times. And on one piece of paper would be written, and these are, these are verses from scripture, I am but dust and ashes. And on the other piece of paper, it would say, for my sake, the world was created. Mm, wow. And when one was feeling that ha- one had no agency in the world, the self-esteem was low, you would take out the piece of paper that said, for my sake, the world was created. And, mm-hmm. and to buoy up your, not only your confidence, but your understanding that you are loved by a divine power, that you are worthy in this world, that your uniqueness is celebrated. 
that you are special because each one of us says, and this is a very, a very much religious teaching. But when you're getting a little bit high above, above everybody else, then you pull up the one that says, I am but dust and ashes, because in the end, we all go end up as dust and ashes. And that's just to keep that balance that we're talking about. And I actually carry those two pieces of paper in my wallet. Wow. Just two little bits of paper. I have friends uh -huh. that carry them with them, uh, you know, and, and you hold, you, you need to hold them together. Mm -hmm. That's how, that's how that, that wow factor works. I guess for our final question, um, after everything we've kind of talked about today, I guess, how do you feel that we as young adults or just people living in this very like globalized world that's very connected by technology, which is, I think, a newer concept. Um, like, how do you think that we can apply kind of these older principles to today? And do you feel like even though there are such advancements, like how different are we to past communities and teachings? Mm -hmm. The concerns that people had in the, in the universal sphere are the same, same ones that we have today. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's, there's a lot of multidisciplinary study involved here. It, it does require, I think, taking the time to learn and study. Um, the technology makes it more possible than ever before. I'll talk about that in a moment, but I just want to say that, um, you know, I am studying Talmud for the very first time in my life. I mean, I've been in this game for quite a while now, but now I have the, I have, uh, Talmud has become accessible to me because there are so many online platforms and podcasts that I'm listening to that I'm involved in communities around the world. And I get to listen to a podcast every morning and learn material that I was not able to get a, a, um, a satisfactory exposure to earlier in my life. Mm. Um, and so that's where technology actually becomes a help in this world. So as I'm studying the Talmud now, and I'm not going to say I'm understanding the Talmud completely because it's such a, a very complex sort of study, but I've, what do I find? These are rabbis. These are conversations. The Talmud is made up of conversations of rabbis from the first and second century in the common era. Okay. Mm. Um, right. And what am I learning that they're concerned about many things that they're concerned about that are hard for me to understand but then suddenly I find that they're very concerned about public health. They're very concerned about the nature of public discourse. They're concerned about kindness. They're concerned about intentionality. They're concerned about one of our topics today, you know, universality and particularity. They're concerned about property distribution. They're concerned about business practices and public consensus. They're concerned about healthy relations. Wow. I'm like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not just these, you know, men sitting around having, talking about something that has nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of specifics and details in these discussions that are not practically perhaps relevant to me today, but the tenor mm -hmm. of what they're trying to discern here, how to live a holy, you know, how to live a good life, a, a life of, 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 you know, a sense of a pure soul, pure heart and and, and, and in, in good relation again with, with, with God, with the divine and in the world and with each other, that's all completely relevant. And these little stories pop out from the pages of the Talmud and suddenly speak to my heart and to my intellect at mm -hmm. times. Mm 
So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you know, what, what, what's, what's wrong with, with, you know, do not murder, do not engage in illicit relations with somebody else. When somebody can, but when you re-envision these ancient texts, is what, what were they talking about? They were talking about, first of all, again, being jealous rather than being content. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about theft because when you approach somebody who's married, you're essentially, you're getting in the way, you're disrupting that relationship. So there's a theft, as it were, mm-hmm. involved, yeah. um, you know, and, and obviously duplicitness. Um, and if so a relationship that is really not open to me that I really shouldn't be engaging in, even though I'm going to be very tempted and the tradition recognizes we're going to be very tempted, I really should be thinking many, many times about before I do this. Mm-hmm. That's just, I've just spoken now for two minutes of just about a single command and, you know, or, or, or an utterance that God made in, in what we, we consider called the Ten Commandments. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just to get really basic. <laughs> yeah, so it's like we're not really all that different, I guess, is like what I'm pulling is, even mm-hmm. though it seems like things have changed so much and our technology has advanced we think of it being so different now or something when really all of these people were talking about the same things and grappling with similar issues and making decisions or I guess like grappling with how to make certain decisions um, that like today we still are. Oh, hi, Nellie. Um, <laughs> uh, that today we're still thinking about just through a new, more modern lens. Right. But the opportunities are tremendous. Okay. So in the past I would have had, I, I, I'm a woman. So in the, in, you know, in the past, I would have had to have been, been in a family where I had a sense of that. I was getting some permission to study deeply. Um, I would only study with mm-hmm. only, with, only with other women. I would um, be, be limited to my local library, meaning, you know, where the scrolls and parchments were. I would have to make sure that I was literate, first of all, and somebody had taught me how to mm-hmm. read, I would, and then have the time somehow, you know, in my daily obligations to study when I wasn't being encouraged to do so. Today, that's all completely changed, okay? I'm a woman, I can study with anybody I want. I have a study partner um, uh, who's male. I have a study mm-hmm. partner who, who's, who's female. Um, and this is all being done online. And even in the pandemic, so one of my study partners is local and normally we would meet in in my office you know or 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 at one of our homes to mm-hmm. study but but we've been meeting online my other study partner lives in princeton new jersey mm. and how are we how are we studying we are um we are accessing online forums and classes that we can you know access we can you know obviously we pay some tuition for them we get materials from the greatest rabbinical minds right now in the united mm-hmm. states and possibly the world and we are we can access their classes, their courses, and we study together. Mm-hmm. I mean, when was this? This is incredible. Yeah, you know, this is all incredible. What's what's impo- what's possible today? Mm-hmm. I can do spirituality meditation classes. I can do everything I want, and I can do it in any tradition I want. So it's a little overwhelming when you think about it. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. why, again, we're talking about balance. It might be good for somebody to get a little grounded and a little focused through maybe start with the tradition that you know, and if it's not working for you, then explore another one, but don't be overwhelmed, but know that it's all there for for us today. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredible gift. Yeah. yeah. 
Like, even if it's sort of the same from the past, now it's just more accessible to everyone or there's just more possibilities of connection mm-hmm. from across the world, which is very cool. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. My final thought here with what we've all talked about is that, like, being religious and, like, being involved in a religious community is something that we can all dive as deep into or as if I'm thinking of like a pool or something like you can dive right in and go, you know, like stu- like like you like study the Talmud and if you're Jewish and like look into scripture and practice traditions or you can kind of just, you know, dip your feet in and like do something mm-hmm. that like maybe it's not as big a part of your life, but you can still find your place in it and your community. Um, mm-hmm. And so like it's kind of up to you. It's your choice. And I think that's really empowering Um, and Mm -hmm. I've appreciated everything you've said today about like flexibility and this continuum idea that we've been coming back to Mm -hmm. and um, yeah like how people in our generation can use those ideas to maybe find our place and like where we feel good about um, religion if we choose to engage I agree with all of that (laughs) (laughs) yeah but um do you have any final thoughts or anything else you want to contribute before we wrap up if if people are if people are afraid that you know being called to anything in religious life is like some sort of abdication of your your genuine thought and self-process i'd say rather it's really a celebration of that rather than an abdication of that Mm -hmm. and 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 kind of go with that i i would again remind people to go with their gut and make sure that they're with a community that is supporting them and not um, not uh, their growth and not the opposite. Um, mm. But, but it's all, but, but, but it's all this individuality is really placed within the context of like communal connection and, and responsibilities. And so that's what keeps that, you know, beautifully balanced. And so I think that's really important. And all I can say is that, um, is that if the two of you are an example of what our little village at Beth Tikva was able to, <laughs> with, with your, your wonderful parents, you know, were able to, um, to bring into the world and help nurture, then, then I have nothing to be embarrassed about. And you know, you're, you're uh, as the writer Noah Benche says, you know, you're like people with a lamp looking for a light. <laughs> but Aww. you already have it, wow. you know, and, and, and just, so keep on, you're both just gifts to the world. And Mocha's in the meantime is just a delightful pearl that has emerged from this kind of dark time we're in. So mm. thank you both. And thank you. I'm honored. <laughs> I'm honored to have uh, spent this time with you. Thank yeah. you so much. I was a little bit nervous because I haven't been as involved in Temple to talk to you again so did you think I was going to say Rachel why aren't you at Temple I don't know (laughs) not actually but I was a bit nervous I guess so I'm really glad that we reconnected and I feel like I have a lot of inspiration from all of this so I'm glad I'm so glad that we reconnected too you know like we know I trained I trained the kids at 13 and then I kind of lose my 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 formal connection with them through the high school years and it's Mm -hmm. always a total gift to reconnect, you know, as they as they come in and out of my life, whether through the temple or in any in any sort of forms. Oh, well, this has been a great episode. Yeah. Um, and thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks again. And, you know, my door is open. So <laughs> we'll be seeing each other in the future, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
so we just wanted to say that this conversation was extremely meaningful for both of us Mm -hmm. and we hope that anybody listening was able to draw something out of it as well um I just think Alana is a really great guest because she's so articulate (laughs) yeah she has so many amazing ideas and I think she really helps break down complex ideas that I think would have gone over my head had I not had someone that's so easy to approach and talk to and it felt very comfortable to ask her questions and yeah I never felt like she like was judging us for not knowing certain things you know Mm -hmm. yeah so I think that um I don't know this is a great episode and we're really looking forward to having on more guests who can bring light to our lives and hopefully light Mm -hmm. to all of yours so in the meantime we hope that everyone has a great holiday season and that you're of course wearing a mask and staying safe yeah wherever you may be Mm -hmm. yeah um we also want to just give a shout out one more time in 2020 (laughs) for our social media pages so you can follow us on instagram or facebook at mochas in the meantime podcast and send us an email at mochas in the meantime podcast at gmail.com we're always you know ready to take any sort of inquiries or advice or um, feedback at all and if you guys are listening on Apple Podcast, if you want to leave us a review, that would be awesome and greatly appreciated. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's just giving us a rating or writing a review, that would be awesome to hopefully get this podcast to more people. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't have anything else to say except for it's been a great season. And uh, once again, we're really grateful yeah. for all of your support and for actually tuning in. I think that at the beginning of this mm-hmm. podcast, we had no um, idea. idea. Yeah, like if people would listen or enjoy it. Um, and so we've gotten some great comments from people yeah. in our lives. So we just want to say thanks. And we hope you'll come back in 2021. Yeah, January 1st, baby. Yeah, yeah. All right. All well, right. See you guys later. Peace. Peace.